You're listening to the Prevailing Word podcast channel and also on our Prevailing Word live YouTube channel. I'm Pastor Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Let's get right into the message. Please open up your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 1 John, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 talking about sound doctrine, and this is part two. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables or myths. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. When Paul was giving these instructions to Timothy, it was because there was a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't have gone on in the church at Ephesus. Paul left Timothy in Ephesus to straighten out some things. In fact, if we were to go to the uh, book of uh, 1 Timothy, we will see that, that Paul didn't waste any time with dealing with sound doctrine. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, he's, Paul starts his letter off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith. Now, evidently, in the book of Acts, we see that Paul met up with Timothy uh, while he was on his uh, missionary journey. And uh, he was Greek. And Jewish, because his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek, he took him and circumcised him so that way there would be no dispute with the Jews when he's around or amongst the Jews as he's ministering alongside uh, Paul. And Timothy was a true son in the faith. In other words, he took the teachings of Paul not only seriously, but also to heart. And Paul watched Timothy develop into from a young man to a man of God, a young man in age, but also a young man in Christ. And he was giving these instructions to Timothy because it was an awesome task. The church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 was birthed there when uh, Paul uh, uh, Apollos was around in that area too, but not necessarily, but also Aquila and Priscilla, they were there and they, and they were the individuals that started the, uh, the, the, the gospel preaching in Ephesus to the degree that hundreds of thousands came to Christ by way of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. They moved from idolatry into the living God. And it was an awesome a uh, time of preaching the word of God, where you see people put aside their idols. And that's the gospel preaching that need to be done today, irrespective of the results. And we see that Paul gives Timothy these words, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in, in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. I mean, Paul didn't even um, waste any time. He went right in to see that as a result of the ministry that 
uh, was there that they were turning from the true teachings of Christ and entertaining uh, false teaching or teaching other doctrine. We'll get into the other doctrine in a moment, but go to Acts chapter 20 because uh, Paul alluded to this, that this would happen. He, 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 he said that this would happen, and sure enough, it came to pass. In Acts chapter 20, look at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, because Acts chapter 20 actually is after Acts chapter 19, and that was the Ephesus uh, preaching of the gospel in Ephesus, which is on the Aegean Sea, uh, part of Greece. Now, we all know that the Roman Empire defeated the Grecian Empire, which is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. And for the Lord Jesus to send Paul on missionary journeys into Asia Minor, which includes uh, Greece, it's, it, it really uh, is outstanding. And from Miletus, again in verse 17, he called, he, rather, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. You see, not only did they have an amphitheater where they were preaching the word of God, uh, but they also went house to house. And this is very important that we get to see that uh, the church had various ways to study the word of God, to pray, to seek God. There were several places where they would go from house to house. So it's nothing wrong with believers coming together in the house of an individual that willingly lets them in to, to pray, to, to preach the word of God, to sing, to, to minister to the Lord. Nothing wrong with that at all. So here we see Paul uh, reminding them that, hey, I went to you, your guys' house to house. Verse 21 now, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Can't I mean, you've been taking notice as to the pattern that, that I've uh, been preaching lately and the last, in, in fact, the last year, two years perhaps, that we preach repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been consistent because we want to be consistent with the word of God. And so I'm not giving repentance from dead works and faith towards God because it's something nice to say and it will tickle your ear and, and get you to jump over chairs and have Holy Ghost goosebumps and things of that nature. No, I am showing a New Testament pattern, a consistent New Testament pattern. And I can't make you accept this pattern. I can't force this pattern upon you. All I can do is point you to the word of God, this pattern, and it is up to you whether or not you want to be within biblical parameters of this pattern. So repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that change and tribulations await me that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Can we see a pattern here? Because see, if Jesus called you, then you're going to stay within the same pattern. And this is very important because we do have people that claim to be called into the ministry, but, but never follow the pattern. Etched in scripture, it's not my pattern. 
I didn't write this. All I'm telling you is what the pattern is. And whether you choose or not to follow this pattern, it's up to you. People that are called into the ministry will follow this same pattern. People that are not called into the ministry will not follow this pattern. I was watching uh, Jack Graham. He's a pastor down in Texas, a Baptist pastor, and he's been relatively consistent in terms of preaching the gospel. And when the camera panned into the audience, there was a noticeable um, empty seats. It's a big church. It's a large church, mega church. It seems like it can fit about maybe, oh, I would say 3,000, 5,000 people. But when the camera panned to the people, you could see gaps of people. You could see on the uh, balcony. Um, I mean, there were very, uh, uh, very uh, there were a number of seats that were empty, and I, I, I began to take note that it happens everywhere. Um, it happens in small places and it happens in large places, but the, but the pastor has to stay true to the pattern irrespective of what he sees in the audience and whoever is seated in the audience. The pattern must be the same because if the, the moment that you get off a pattern, then that means that it's your ministry. But when you stay within pattern, you're doing exactly what the Lord told you to do irrespective of the results. And that's what, that's what sometimes people do get upset about that because you want to see seats filled, you want to change the pattern and, and try to seem as if you're successful. And that's not the way to do ministry. Ministry is doing what he told you to do and staying within the parameters of the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And so when he was preaching, he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that we ought to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he uh, talked about salvation, that the whole purpose of us being saved is to be saved from sin, because the Bible does say that, that Jesus uh, came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible does, uh, does say that. It is consistent. And irrespective of what's happening in the times that we're living in, we have to stay consistent with the pattern, irrespective of the results. And, and not try to do a knee-jerk reaction uh, as others have been doing, and I've done it too, to try to be successful. I've, I've been trying to do it for years, and it, it failed. <laughs> it failed miserably and, and no results, thankfully. Otherwise, I would have something to give an account for, but God wants us to stay within pattern. So he's, he preached on, on the salvation message, message. And you kind of figure that, hey, the people know this already. No, you got to listen to what Peter said. He said, I stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And so irrespective of people see, uh, sitting in the seats, we have to remain true to the pattern of the scriptures as far as the very basis for which we preach. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and so... Uh, the one thing that I that I know that he does preach is because I've, I've heard him preach before. Very good uh, expositor uh, uh, expounding the word of God. He does talk about sin. In fact, he mentioned in one me one message something that I've I've coined, and you've heard on uh, from time to time when I'm reminded um, that sin is is a deliberate act of defiance towards God. And, and, and that came from Jack Graham. That was, I said, that's, that's powerful preaching because you won't know what to be saved from or you will not have an incentive to be saved from something if the incentive isn't clear. We're, we're saved from sin. The Bible teaches that, and that is gospel. No question about it. Also, we are saved from his wrath. We're saved from his wrath. That's etched in scripture and can not be refuted. And I find that the reason why people uh, in the body of Christ, and because I've done it myself, I've, I've done it, uh, we want to take the edge off of the gospel preaching so that people could receive. We don't want to tell them something that they don't want to hear and then they reject. 
but they're going to reject him anyway. Because when you come into an awareness of what the gospel was really all about, you can't help but be in between two choices, either the choice to, to accept or the choice to reject. So I can't fault uh, Pastor Jack Graham on the fact that he didn't mention sin in his message uh, uh, that I saw on on satellite, I, but because I know what he's done in the past. So he he's consistent about that in that regard. So I know that that is all always on safe on safe ground. But sin is is a defiance and and a deliberate intentional act of defiance towards the living God. And and so um, when we're we're ministering the gospel, it has to have that that bite. Because if we do not give them the incentive to be saved, then what is it that they're being saved from? Of course, we know being saved from sin, yes, but also saved from his wrath. And that's very important that as we um, go on, that we um, we portray that message to sinners that, that are out there. So he encouraged the congregation uh, by saying that, uh, we all know that we have friends, family members that aren't saved, and we need to share the gospel. We need to, he first he said, we need to pray, which is essential because we don't, we don't know how God moves unless we ask him to, to move upon the hearts of people so that way the blindness can be removed from their hearts and that they would begin to see the light of the glorious gospel. So, yes, we are to pray, but we are also to pray for wisdom to say the gospel the way that it is to be presented and not take away the bite of the gospel, which is the fact that if you do not get saved, you will die in your sins and you will end up in hell. Uh, we've, we've gotten away from that because we didn't want to offend the unrighteous. And when we have that mentality, because I had that mentality too, you know, I'm guilty of that too. Try to take the bite away from the, the gospel in and of itself. Then what you're left with is an individual that prayed a prayer, but don't understand the magnitude of why you came into Christ. You know, when, when people don't understand the magnitude of why they, they, they come into Christ, they don't they won't understand how great a salvation it is. That's why Hebrews chapter two and verse three says, how shall they escape if they if they neglect so great a salvation? You see, there, there's no way for them to escape. There's no way for them to come to Christ. There is no bite. There's no incentive. On your deathbed, God has a purpose for your life isn't needed anymore. Because you're on your deathbed. You're dying. You need to repent of, of sin and place your faith on Christ alone. So we have to take away the trappings, the, um, the flowers, if you will, to gospel preaching and return to the very basics of the scriptures so that way they understand that if they neglect this salvation, there is no way of escape. That's why Mark chapter 16 and verse 16 is very clear. It says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. Uh, the, the condemnation of the individual sinner is on them for a reason, and that is because of sins done in their life. And because they fail to repent of sin, turn 183.60, they end up in hell. So we have to make sure that we present the gospel message the way that it is intended, so that way they can be saved not only from sin, but also from God's wrath. So here Paul was giving these instructions to uh, the people, at, uh, the, the ministers at, at Ephesus. But in verse 24 in Acts chapter 20, Paul says this, but none of these things move me, move me 
nor do I count my life dear to myself so I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So for three years, because Paul was in Ephesus for that time, I believe, if not a little less, he ministered to them the whole counsel of God, and he did this with the Old Testament. He did this with the Old Testament, because anytime that you see that there is a reference to Scripture in the book of Acts and also in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians and several other places, when you see reference to Scripture, it is always it is always the, the Old Testament. That's why you can't do away with the Old Testament. Because as Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, I believe, that in them is the law, the Psalms, and the prophets concerning me. So the way that they found out, find out about Jesus is not just because Paul had received revelation in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but because the Spirit of God took him into places in the Old Testament where Jesus can be found and discovered and read about. So Paul, when he writes these letters, I find it amazing how the New Testament is, is filled with two out of three letters from, from Paul. And that is because Paul, if you remember, he was a Pharisee. Uh, Philippians chapter two, uh, tells uh, chapter three rather, tells us of the fact that he was a Pharisee. Now, I've said before that in order for you to be a Pharisee, you have to be a doctor of the law. And I was correct because when I looked up the word Pharisee, it's, it means teacher or doctor of the law. So there was a, a regiment of, of teaching, sort of like, now I've never done this because I, I, I only have a high school education, never been to college, never, I don't have a college degree, master's degree or a doctorate. But from what I understand, you have to write a dissertation uh, uh, you know, and you, for your masters, you also have to write a you know, sort, sort of like a book, and 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 so uh, that's part of the examination. And so I can just imagine Paul, you know, doing these things as far as the law is concerned, and he was a Pharisee, so that meant that Paul was definitely a doctor of the law, being brought up under the teaching of uh, Gamaliel. And so he was numbered in the ranks of the teachers. Now, some of us remember in John chapter three, when Jesus saw Nicodemus at night and Jesus mentioned to him, he said, aren't you a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? Meaning that Nicodemus was a doctor. He had a doctorate because Jesus called him a teacher in Israel. In order for you to be a teacher in Israel, you have to have letters. You have to have a doctorate to be a Pharisee. Uh, so, so Paul was a, was a Pharisee, a doctor of the letter. And, and, and so he took the Old Testament and showed them where Christ is and what the whole counsel of God is centered around, where Christ can be found in the Old Testament, being that Paul is a Pharisee, or was a Pharisee, I should say. Verse 20, 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flocks of all the flock among you, among which rather the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Why? For what purpose? to draw away the disciples after themselves. That's the whole purpose of false teaching and false doctrine. They, they don't want you to be a disciple of Christ. They want you to be, for a lack of a better, Fred's disciple. <laughs> you know, you, you, you want people to follow you, just like on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and follow me, follow me, follow. Wait a minute. 
Ah, I'll follow Christ. That's why I'm, I'm, I don't ask you to follow me. I point to Christ. Now, Paul did say in, uh, believe it's in First uh, Corinthians 11 and verse 1, follow me or be imitated to me as I am of Christ. He does say that. And Paul also taught Timothy that you know my manner of life. You know, so you can follow a person, but so far. But what if that person dies? Then who are you going to follow? That's why we always point to Christ. We don't point to people, flesh, personality, because the flesh and the personality can vanish. Like the Bible tells us that our life is but a vapor. It vanishes away. So we always point people to Christ and the scriptures. And, and, and so the Bible does tell us to make that we are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But what if you die? Who will disciple them? Well, if you're a true believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit, and, and you listen to the Holy Spirit in the teachings of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit knows how to lead you and guide you far better than a person in flesh. And that's why John said what he said in 1 John. He said, you have no need that anyone teach you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is there to, to teach you. In fact, Jesus said it like this to the disciples in uh, John chapter 16. He said, when the spirit of truth has come, he will teach you and guide you into all truth. He will do it. And, and so uh, we, we thank God for, for uh, preachers and teachers in the body of Christ that can give us information that sometimes we just can't grasp. Thank God for that. But primarily, your primary way of getting information from the scriptures is by the Holy Spirit. And then you bring it to people that perhaps you are comfortable with that have, that have command of the scriptures, but not only just command of the scriptures, but also command of their own lives. You see, you have to have, you, you can't trust a person that doesn't have command of their own lives through the scriptures. In other words, they can't tell you how to abstain from pornography if they're watching pornography themselves. And such as the case was with me. You'll find that, that preachers that are in certain sins will not preach about them. Or if they do, it's just because they want to cover their tracks until God exposes them. So you want to find people that have command of the scriptures, but you also want to find people that have command of themselves. In other words, they know how to watch every aspect of their lives and apply the scripture the way that the scriptures command them to do. Because James chapter three tells us that teachers will be under a stricter judgment. In other words, God's going to hold you much more accountable than the sheep. And, and so you don't want to be a teacher and you're teaching people the word of God and you're living in sin. That, that's hypocrisy. And that's why the, one of the greatest uh, preaching episodes that, that you will ever find is Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 is one of those, didn't I tell you? Don't be a hypocrite. It's one of those one of those slam messages for leaders that you rarely hear preached today. All right, so uh, so Paul knew that these people would rise up. Verse thirty again in Acts chapter twenty. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He did this for three years, night and day, because he saw the effects of the gospel from a large perspective, and he didn't want to lose what, what God had given him. So he warned the elders at Ephesus and said, hey, People on the outside are going to come in and try and, and destroy the sheep. But also, people will rise up from within. 
So not so so not only we're telling the elders, not only do you have to watch for what's coming from the outside, but you also have to watch what's operating inside. So now go back to uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter chapter 1. Verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That they teach no other doctrine. You know what I call other, uh, other doctrine? I call it a wild goose chase. Now, I never chased after a goose, so I don't know what it's like. But I can imagine on YouTube there are a lot of, of uh, videos of little kids or adults chasing after a goose. And the reason why it's a wild goose chase is because goose goes everywhere. You don't want to be caught. So he's zigzagging, running fast, zigzagging, and he's just running all over the place because he doesn't want to get caught because he wants to preserve his life. And that's the same thing with other doctrine. Other doctrine is a wild goose chase. It, it, it never manifests what the scriptures said it would manifest. Uh, I, was, I was really mesmerized by this uh, false, uh, false prophet who would go out on the streets. And I don't know if it's a setup or he just picked people randomly or I don't know. Chances are when you're doing something in that area consistently, I, I have to lean towards the fact that this is a setup. Uh, would sit him down in a chair and, and would gr grow one leg longer than the other. And all it is is a magician's trick. That's all it is. It's just a magician's trick. It, it isn't consistent because, you know, I, I, I always... Now, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, says, prove all things, test all things. You see, you have to put things to the test. If you, if you want to know that something is working, put it to the test. And, and, and so, I mean, if that's the only thing that you know how to do, why don't you walk up to an individual that, that doesn't have an arm? Or an individual that doesn't have an eye? A person that's in a wheelchair, a person with in a wheelchair with two legs, for some, not for all, it's very easy to do something there to make them stand because perhaps they've stood before. Very easy. To, but but what, can you walk up to an individual that doesn't have any legs? Zero legs, no legs, amputees. And, and so we go after wild goose chases of signs, wonders, and miracles, not realizing that these signs, wonders, and miracles can only be done by God himself and not you and I. We can't do it. We don't have the power. And we don't have to manufacture or, or try to uh, hype up an atmosphere and, and dupe people. We don't have to do that. If God's power is available, he knows how to do it. We don't. And so that we know in the last days that there will be individuals that will deceive the people. And I said, Lord, how will they deceive the people? He said the false prophets will deceive the people two ways. First, in false doctrine. And second, in signs, wonders, and miracles. Even though there really isn't a sign, wonder, and a miracle. Nothing really took place. Just uh Explosion. There was this one false prophet was in a service and he was sitting down in a chair and there was an individual in a wheelchair sitting in a wheelchair. Then I happened to look in the audience that he was ministering to and people were sitting there with masks on. Now you kind of figure that in a, a setting, you know, where God's miracle power would be at work. Why, why wear a mask? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? If God's power is in the place, why wear a mask? 
you may not reason yourself that way, but I do. I said, you're in the presence of God and you're wearing a mask? Well, yeah. And plus the guy on the stage is supposed to be the healer or, or, or proclaim to be a healer. But anyway, he walked to the individual in a wheelchair. Obviously, the, the person in the wheelchair was legit. And here's the reason why I say it's legit. He put his hands on and laid hands on him and the wheelchair went backwards. And I said, oh boy, this is a big catastrophe. And so the helpers came around to, to lift up his wheelchair back up and he never got out of the wheelchair. And, and that's what I mean. If you can't replicate God's power, then evidently, it's false. And that's what we have today. We have individuals that are charlatans all across the body of Christ. And, and, and notice another thing, and I've said this before, they always do it in places that are huge venues where believers come to assemble, but never out on the street, never in a hospital, never in a nursing home, never in a hospice. If you're anointed, you want to prove it. And those are the places, prisons. Those, those, are, those are the places where you want to prove that you've received an anointing from God to do this. You don't want to do it in a, a, friendly, a friendly environment, a friendly place, because there you control the environment. Jesus always ministered in environments that were unfriendly so that way they knew that it was the power of God. And so Paul instructed these elders, told them, told them, told Timothy rather in this letter, because we're back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 4. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Fables are myths. In fact, it's the Greek word mythos, spelled M-Y-T-H-O-S. And it means fiction. Now, some of us, when we were going to school, in elementary school and things like that, it was the first time that we learned the difference between uh, history and fiction, fact of fiction. And so what's fact is means what's evident or evidence that cannot be refuted. What a fiction is, is a made up story. It's not a real story. It's a made up story. And that's what we have in the body of Christ today. We have a lot of people making up stories without substantiating the act and determine it to be true. And that's what we have today. And people are drawn or attracted to that. And all we're doing is just showing you the scripture so that way you know the difference between what's truth and fiction. You got to know the difference because if you don't know the difference, then it's very easy for you to walk in, in, in error. Very easy for you to walk in error. And so, and so that's why... It's very important that if a person begins to teach a particular thing, but they never proved it out, then you can't trust it. You can't trust it. And here's the other thing. Even if they proved it out, if they draw you to themselves, then the object, the, the, uh, the object was done. You're now their disciple and not the Lord's. And that's what you have to protect yourself against. Individuals that say this about something, but they never proved it out. In other words, it never is factual. And here's the other thing. It has to be consistent and it has to work 100% of the time. 100%. Now we know that it can't happen 100% of the time and that's and that's because when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, he, 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 he gives it out severally, as 1 Corinthians 12 tell, tells us, as he wills. Severally as 
He, the Holy Spirit, wills. If the Holy Spirit don't will it, it's not going to get done, period. So there's no sense in me trying to make the Holy Spirit do something that he expressly is not going to do. And then we try to gloss over it by saying you just don't have enough faith. You don't have, you don't have enough word in you. You don't have enough this, enough that. We try to gloss it off and, and, and never come to the realization that in all actuality, that person deceived you. And that's the kind of deception that we need to expose. So we don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Endless genealogies means that uh, when a person's trying to look up their, their name in relationship to being a Jew, endless, it's, it's endless. You can't find an end to it. And so people are disputing over something that is endless. And what does it do? which causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. And see, that's the whole intent. It, there, there's no godly edification going on. You're not built up in a godly fashion. You're just arguing between one another. Causing disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the command, because this is what the subject is about in terms of that teaching no other doctrine. They were trying to teach the commandments of God, and these individuals had no clue how the commandments work. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to argue with a Pharisee who is a doctor of the law? And when? You're not. Paul saw that these individuals were trying to, to teach the commandments, but they had no idea what they were talking about. None, none whatsoever. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's the whole purpose of the commandment. From which some, having strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, in other words, what idle talk is, is, is random talk, vain jangling. I mean, they, they sound educated. They sound like they've been to school. They sound like they know what they're talking about, but it's idle talk. So in verse 7, we see that Paul says, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they Affirm. In other words, they, Paul saw what they were doing. They said, they don't understand what the law is for. They don't understand what, what the law affirms. But here, Paul, from his rabbinical teachings, begins to give them what the purpose of the law is. Verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. You see, when you're teaching another doctrine and you're presenting another doctrine, and, and I can pretty much say with certainty that the other doctrine was the doctrine of Moses along with the gospel, because we see that in Galatians chapter one, they were trying to bring the doctrine of Moses in with the gospel. This is also seen in Acts chapter 15, because there were uh, uh, individuals who are Judaizers, followers of Moses that came down and, and, and attempted to uh, shipwreck the faith of the believers in Antioch. And they were so shook that they said, here, send a, take this letter to Jerusalem because we want to find out what's really going on. So Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem, presented the letter to them, and they said, well, you know, we just want you to abstain from, from uh, uh, idols, sexual immorality, and don't eat things strangled with blood. And then they said, farewell. Have a nice day. In other words, what they were doing was giving them the word of God without putting or imposing upon them that this is an edict from Jerusalem and we rule over you. No. They said, this is what you should do. Stay away from idols. Don't eat things strangled with blood and stay away from sexual immorality and you'll do fine. So these individuals had no idea. And so Paul is giving them what to do with the, what the reason of the, of the law is. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, 
Now, just in case you don't know the fact of a, of a righteous person, here we're going to find in, in James what, what, what he says about, about the law. And, 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 and it's very important that we read this. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, is it James chapter 3? Let's see. Believe us in, it's definitely in the book of James, I just gotta look for it, because I, I definitely gotta find find this. It's, uh, it's of grave importance that I find this, because it'll, it'll, make, it'll make sense when we uh, read it from the uh, book of James. Uh, breaks one, I think. I guess go that way. Uh, the book of James, uh, chapter two. Yeah, I was I was right. James chapter two. Turn there real quick. James chapter two and verse ten. Now keep in mind what what Paul said, knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate. So in James chapter two, verse ten. James says this, uh, uh, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who says do not commit adultery also says do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak as so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But you see the point here in verse 10 is very simple. If you stumble in one, you're guilty of all. So go back to what first Timothy chapter one, verse nine, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for sinners for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, and if you don't know what a sodomite is, it's a homosexual, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is healthy doctrine or healthy teeping. And when you stay within the parameters of the, of the word of God, you are on safe ground. And that's why I never get bored teaching the gospel the way that it ought to be taught. I don't get bored or try to hype up things so that way you could be excited. Aren't you excited about the word of God? No. I want to be walking in the word of God. I want the word of God to minister to me so that way I can be obedient to the one who saved me. I don't walk in the commandments to get saved. I don't walk in the word to get saved. I walk in the word because I'm saved. Again, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't do his word to get saved. We do his word as a result of the salvation that he has graciously given to each and every one of us. So what we want to do is... We don't want anyone to come in with unsound doctrine. In other words, what I would call it, chasing after the wild goose. You're running around all over the place and you're never successful at getting to the wild goose. So this is what the purpose of the law is. And Paul was, was very uh, clear in chapter one of 1 Timothy to let Timothy know that this is what you do. So in verse 11, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. 
And I like this. And I thank God, I thank rather Christ Jesus, he is God anyway, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, in other words, always insulting believers, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. And that's what our pursuit is when we are in the presence of God. When we're, we're in the presence of God with his word and his word is a thorough examiner and his word begins to teach us things that we have yet to rise up to and we begin to say, Lord, have mercy on me. Remember that story in the book of Luke chapter 18. The, the, the Pharisee came and said, I'm not like this tax collector. I give tithes of all. I do this and I do that. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven, smote his breast and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went back justified than the other man. You want to be justified? Recognize who you are. Paul says, I'm a sinner, chief. The Lord didn't correct him on that because Paul knew who he was and what he was. Because we have to remember Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we also have to remember uh, Psalm 14 and verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are all corrupt. They have done abominable things. There is none that is good. It's none. No, nobody's good but God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 to the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? There is only one that is good, and that is God. God is the only one that's good. So we throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And we say, God, be merciful to me. So, so now, so now uh, sound doctrine must always be taught. So that way people would be sound and healthy within their own walk and relationship with Christ. Go to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And beginning at verse 11, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for, and this is the reason why they were given, for the equipping of the saints, the work of the ministry, or for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. Now, when it says come to the unity of the faith, it is talking about Christianity come into the unity of Christianity. Now, I'm going to use a word that perhaps is, is, isn't as good a word as we could use. In fact, I'm not going to use it. <laughs> I'm not going to go there uh, because it would bring more confusion. But the unity of the faith is talking about the Christian faith. That I can say. It's talking about the Christian faith. The Christian faith absent of unsound doctrine, doctrine that is contrary to sound doctrine. We want to stay within the confines of good doctrine, sound doctrine, solid doctrine. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Where is this knowledge going to come from? It's going to come from the scriptures. Now, thank God that we have the four Gospels, one book of history written by Luke, the book of Acts, and the letters of Paul, John, Peter, Jude. We thank God that we have those, those solid epistles because now you, you, we're beginning to see that the knowledge of God is hidden in these letters, in these epistles. I was studying uh, about uh, King, King James where our King James Bible came from and uh, 
how it all came about. And, and this, this person, King James, he, uh, he was severing himself from Catholicism and, uh, and started and had what is called the Church of England. We owe, we owe God praise that he used English folk to get us this Bible. It is just a stroke of God's genius that John Wycliffe and, and others uh, stood up against Catholicism and put a copy of the Bible in everybody's hand. That really wreaked havoc in um, Catholicism. They, they were really upset when they no longer had the uh, advantage of telling people the word of God. Case in point, there, there was this one documentary that I, was saw, that I saw about how the uh, Ten Commandments are etched on, on uh, Catholic prop properties. And they have the Ten Commandments sitting there. So at a glance, when you read the Ten Commandments, you can, be, you can say, wow, they do believe in the Ten Commandments. They are of God. But if you look closely at the Ten Commandments, you will find that the First Commandment and the Second Commandment is missing on Catholic properties. They substituted the ninth and the 10th uh, commandments with you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not covet uh, your neighbor's house. But they left out the fact that you shall not, uh, you shall not have any of the gods before me and you shall not make any graven images. Why? Because they worship Mary. They declare Mary as the intermediate, intermediate with Christ. And that's error. There's plenty of pictures where you will see the Pope sitting in front of a statue of Mary. And see, that's why you have to be very careful about the charismatics too. Because in the 60s, the, the Holy Spirit, they claimed that the Holy Spirit came into the Catholic Church. But I find that that isn't true. And here's the reason why I say that. Because if the Holy Spirit actually came in there, they would have walked away from Catholicism. Let me say that again. If the Holy Spirit actually came in there, they would have walked away from Catholicism. They wouldn't be worshiping Mary. They wouldn't be doing the rosary. They wouldn't be baptizing babies. So if you want to call yourself a charismatic, you better know your connections and know what you're connected to. Because if the Lord delivers you out of something, he delivers utterly. He saves to the uttermost. He pulls you out of associations that run crosswise of the scripture. And that's why Catholicism is not sound doctrine. And so you have to be very careful what you're connected to. So now, now look in uh, uh, verse 13 again, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We get this knowledge from the Old Testament. We also get this knowledge from the letters and the Gospels uh, in the New Testament. So that's how, that's how we come into the knowledge of the Son of God, by the Holy Spirit, of course, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You see, when you're not following sound doctrine, there's going to be a wind of a doctrine that sounds almost right, but you just have a See, if you're sensitive in your heart about the scriptures, when you get that check in your spirit about that don't sound good, that don't sound right. You need to obey that because that's the Holy Spirit telling you that what they're trying to teach is error. Why is it error? Well, all you got to do is put them to the test. Jesus did this. I'd rather the, the church at Ephesus, <laughs> even in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter two, Jesus had tested. He said, you've tested the apostles and found them not to be apostles. And so that's what I do now. I test them. I test them with the scriptures. I said, where, have, where, where did God send you? And can you start a church from scratch and replicate that like Paul did? 
Do it over and over and over again. Can you do that? You see, when we're blown about with every wind of doctrine, it's for what purpose? Notice what Paul says here. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They're plotting against you. Why? Because they want to exploit you. They want to take advantage of the money that you have in their pocket. It's just amazing how they get away with it. People are not discerning anymore. Even at this late stage of the game, they're not really discerning anymore. So be the individual that chooses not to be tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You've been listening to our Prevailing Word podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.